New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. What is our true inheritance as part of the human family? How do we inhabit an authentic and wholehearted life, and why is that important? How do we stay connected to the deeper purpose in our life as we rush through our days, and how do we stand above isolation and despair? We'll be exploring these and many other questions with our guest today, Mark Nepo. Mark Nepo is a poet, philosopher, and a most eloquent storyteller. In 2015, he was given a Life Achievement Award at Age Nation, and in 2016 was named by Watkins Mind, Body, Spirit as one of the most spiritually influential living people. He was part of Oprah Winfrey's The Life You Want Tour in 2014 and has appeared several times with Oprah on her Super Soul Sunday program on OWN TV. As a cancer survivor, Mark devotes his writing and teaching to the journey of inner transformation and the life of relationship. He's the author of many audio learning projects and over 20 books, including The Way Under the Wave, The Place of True Meeting, Drinking from the River of Light, The Life of Expression, and The Book of Soul, 52 Paths to Living What Matters. Join us for the next hour as we explore how to negotiate the often confounding currents of being human in these postmodern times with our guest, Mark Nepo. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Mark, welcome. Oh, it's great to be with you as always. Well, it's my pleasure as always. I'm just delighted to be here with you once again. And I would love to begin uh, to talk. I know that in all of your books, there is this current of of working with how to be present in our lives, how to be wholehearted, as I mentioned in the yeah. introduction. What do you mean about wholehearted? What does that mean? Well, so so <clears throat> as a way into into that, I think part of the challenge for every human being, every generation, you know, in our incarnation, it's our turn to be fully actualized human beings. And, be, and that's a living paradox because the being in us is infinite, but the human is very finite <laughs> and, and limited. 
And so we are always like lightning in a bottle, you know, and we're always uh, cracking and falling down and getting up. And so we have this constant challenge of how to be wholehearted when the difficulties of life make us half-hearted. So it's not like as we describe, as I begin to describe what I mean by that, that we can avoid it and say, oh, well, I, then I won't be half-hearted. No, we will. I will because we're human. Uh, just like I can't stay awake 24 hours a day. I have to sleep. I believe and am committed to wholeheartedness. But being human, you know, I'm not going to be able to sustain it. That's not the point. Just like you can't keep your eyes open without blinking. So part of the humanness is that we will blink. But what do we devote ourselves to? So what does it mean to be wholehearted? I, I have felt, and again, as you know from my work, I, what I offer are notes from living. They're, what I offer are examples, not instructions. It's as best that I've been able to figure out so far. And um, I keep learning and growing. But my experience here on earth has been that when I can be hold nothing back, when I can feel what is mine to feel, face what is mine to face, both joy and tenderness and difficulty and pain, then I am completely here. And when I'm completely here, however briefly, I become an open conduit. And one of the rewards for being authentic, which means being thorough, one of the rewards for being authentic is that we are given access to a moment of oneness, of eternity, of completeness, of touching into all the other times that anyone's ever lived. So that when I, uh, when I am caring for you because I love you and I'm truly present, I slip into a moment where I am now in the moment of everyone who ever cared for someone. So by being completely thorough to what's before me, I trip, you know, by, by one act of love, we experience all love. By one act of compassion, we experience all compassion. If I can be, if I cannot run from my pain or your pain, then I trip into the truth of all pain, which, uh, well, you could say, well, gee, that's overwhelming. I don't, I have enough with my pain. I don't want all pain. Well, it's not, it's not that we carry all pain. It's that just as a net will distribute weight, when I can access other people's feelings and the connection, that's why relationship is so important. It doesn't burden us with those feelings. It distributes the intensity of them so that we can receive the meaning in them. So being wholehearted, uh, you know, like being integral, it's interesting, the word integrity, the real root of that word means uh, to make whole, W-H-O-L-E, to make whole. And so, you know, certainly there's value. We tend to think of integrity as I have a checklist of character traits or virtues that I believe in, and I want to try to live by them. So I, I kind of do an inventory every week that I live up to it. And there's nothing wrong with that. But 
not but, let's say and, <laughs> a deeper understanding of integrity is that the reason we do that, or the reason I do it, is not just to be considered a good person. It's so that when I do live by the values that I, that I care about, I become integral. I become whole. And the reward for being whole is not, is not just good relationships. It's access to oneness. I get to experience uh, everything that's larger than me. So that reminds me of something that you write and speak about, and this uh, has to do with um, what do I stand on and what do I stand for? So you're talking about, yeah. you know, how, okay, you want to be a good person, you have values and, and yes. that. So there's a chapter in there that's standing on and standing for, and one of the distinctions that that I felt like I needed to consider deeply, and again, when I consider it, then, you know, deep enough, it's not just me, everybody's had to consider it. So it's worth sharing, not necessarily what I do with it, but the fact that we all have to deal with it. And what what we're dealing with here is, you know, we are so quick and causal and reactive that we're quick to stand for something or against something. And the most important thing I have found is before I can effectually stand for something, I need to know what I'm standing on. What is foundational? What is reliable? What are truths that will never go away? I may lose sight of them, but when I come to from the cloud of worry or fear or distortion or inflation or deflation or anxiety um, or despair or grief, what, where's my footing? Where do I find what's solid? And from there, I can see more clearly what do I stand for? Often we push against each other as a substitute for knowing where solid ground is. So I have a dear friend in my men's group, and uh, David, and David did some work in uh, South America. And there's a custom, an indigenous custom in the Portuguese. And I write about this amazing thing uh, where uh, indigenous folk tradition is how to deal with conflict is say say you come to me and you have a struggle and you don't know what to do you're at a point where you have a real decision to make well the the, the there's this notion of a die which in portuguese means and so and what it means is it's a, there's a ritual where if you come to me i will listen and i will ask a die three times the first is the largest sense. Uh, you will share what your problem, I don't know what to do in my life, I don't know whether to stay where I am or move or have this job or stay in this relationship. Or, and I'll listen and I'll go, a die. And so what does this mean in the context of all life? Not to minimize, not, you know, sometimes people in our modern world will, will say, well, you know, what does that mean in the context of everything? No, no. To have a, uh, the biggest, like, what are you standing on? What is the place of your choice point in the context of all time? To give you a, a greater decision point of what, how you want to hold it. And then after you answer that, go through and express your, again, not, I'm not telling you what to do. Right. You're raising your own wisdom. 
Then the second Adai is, okay, and so, given where you're standing, where is the next spot of solid ground? Right. So is it a diagnostic Adai? Where is it? Is it you're across right. the room? Is it across the state? Is it in a, a f- being with a friend? Where, where is the next position of solid ground? And the third Adai is very specific. It is, okay, what's your next step? Mm. So this is this is beautiful indigenous way, and this is a wonderful way uh, to to kind of actualize this kind of spiritual practice. This notion of what are we standing on before we decide what we're standing for? You know, Mark. I mean, it's it's really always been my for the last forty or fifty years to to look for the biggest truth i can find that is that foundational so i'm constantly looking at researching or in searching as you would say uh that that place and one of the things that you mention in your book is is something about the choice that we have is to either be present or absent that's a choice, yeah. and I'd like to talk about that in just one moment, but I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Mark Nepo, and he's the author of many, many books, including uh, his most recent one, The Book of Soul, 52 Paths to Living What Matters. And if you want to know more about the work of Mark Nepo, you can go to his website, marknepo.com. And he spells his last name N-E-P-O, MarkNepo.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, NewDimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Mark Nepo, and he's the author of The Book of Soul, 52 Paths to Living What Matters. And Mark, we were just talking about that that which we do have choice over, and which may actually refer to that deep foundational piece that, that yeah. holds us. And uh, that's either where we can choose to be present or with pre- live with presence, or absence. And I'd love to have you comment on that. Sure. So, you know, again, my experience has led me, and we all, we all struggle with this. You know, we all have to choose whether to be visible or invisible. And, and sometimes um, 
we uh, we do it unconsciously or pain or fear often makes us be invisible. And I think this is very important right now in the in the times we're we're living in. So we have very little control ultimately over what happens in life. And I think one, so one of the few things we can control is our presence or our absence. Can I just pause a second? I'm here in a hotel room with Mark, and you're hearing the cable car. If you hear something in the <laughs> right, background. Right, we're in San so, Francisco. Yeah, yeah so I uh, just wanted to tell sure, people that little that's context. Little, little context that that's a beautiful sound. So um, when I can be present, and this goes to our first part of the conversation, then all other things start to flow. You know, other things about what I can do, what I can see. Because when I'm present, I see differently, I hear differently, I know differently. And that gives me different choices and different tools and different resources. So, so our choice to be present. Now, when I'm absent, there are, there's a, um, often we're absent out of fear. You know, we're at a party. Uh, I'm just meeting you and you turn out to be someone who's very hurtful, kind of sarcastic, biting. And, you know, my first instinct is, well, I'm, I'm not playing. I'm not doing this. And so, you know, and this actually has happened to me years ago, which helped me make this distinction. So I thought that I was removing myself from the situation when I was actually vanishing. And there's a difference. There's a big difference. So removing yourself from a hurtful situation or a dangerous situation, it's like if you're, if there's a dog that's leashed who's a vicious dog, well, you can move yourself back beyond the reach of the leash. Simple. You're not hiding or withdrawing your presence. But often to protect ourselves, and I, I did, and I, re- I recognized this, I had done it a lot, and I think a lot of us do. I thought I was doing that, but I was vanishing. I was hiding. I was muffling my light. And I was giving way too much power to this sudden situation. So it's very important for us. There's a difference between making ourselves inaccessible to cruelty or harshness or danger and hiding. Because hiding uh, limits us. Hiding uh, makes us even at a greater disadvantage I had a dream once with my dearest friend was in the dream. And of course, you know, dreams really was two parts of me. And in the dream, there were these outlaws, like a Western dream. These outlaws were trying to, were coming after us. And so we were saying, what are we going to do? Like there, we sensed they were coming and we were behind a little hill. And in the dream, the Robert part of me said, well, let's hide so they don't see us. And in the dream, the, the, the part of me that was me, I said, well, but if we do that, we can't see when they're coming. So I'd rather risk being seen so I can have the full view of life in front of us, dangers and wonders. And then I woke, and of course, those were two parts of me. Mm. So often when we hide we are empowering what we're afraid of so much that we cut off our direct connection to go back to tie these things together to what we stand on. 
And only when we are clear on what we stand on can we see what's possible and what's available. So I, I'm thinking, can a form of retaliation be also a form of hiding? Meeting someone and they're sarcastic and kind of oh, mean-spirited. And then we withdraw ourselves. But sometimes we engage. I'm thinking years ago of hearing George Leonard talk about being uh, heading up um, a conference. And somebody asked him a question. And I remember George saying he he put that person down. He just slammed that person mm -hmm. and how stupid their question was or whatever it was. And then later, he realized that that was about himself and his inability to, to truly share in oh, that absolutely. moment. So this, is, this we, could, we could touch on here, you know, the Wizard of Oz. Now, you know, the wizard famously, um, he's hiding behind a curtain. Well, that curtain can be anything. That curtain can be a storm that we, that we put out in front of us. Because we, you know, it's exactly what you're saying, because we're vulnerable and we don't have foundation and we're afraid that, that we won't be accepted for who we are. So we put out, you know, before someone will get to me, I'll get to them. You know, I'll be harsh. I'll be sarcastic. I'll make a lot of noise. I'll make a lot of distraction, which is a lot the way uh, Donald Trump's personality works. Yes. And, uh, and we see it in living color these days, yeah, don't we? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so that's why it's so important, no matter what walk of life you're in, the more that we are standing on what is true, the more we can listen. There's a great paradox about the self. We all have to have a self to be here. Um, and, uh, but... And the self is the direct way that I experience life. Not through you, not through my parents, not through what somebody tells me, but it's, it's how I directly experience life. But if all I'm left, if that's all I'm left with, we need, that's essential. That's how we clean our eyes. That's how we clean our heart. That's how we clean our ears, our mind. But it's not all just to listen to ourself. Because if I'm only left with only myself, oh, brother. Because life, paradoxically, is so much more than just me or you. And this is why we need each other. So one of the purposes of having a strong, central sense of self is so that I can receive all that I'm not. Because together we're complete. Together we're complete. So there is this paradox that, you know, the more I can be who I am, the more I'm open to all that I'm not. There's, there's a phrase in your book uh, that I, I just loved, and it was about listening. And it was about one of the um, things that, that prevents us from truly listening and that's when we go to illusion. And you, you use a phrase about we're, we're living in the hall of mirrors <laughs> of our experience. And I, I just kind of, that phrase just popped out. And describe what you mean by that. Well, and this, this is really, you know, that, that forms of not listening 
you know, fear is one and, uh, and illusion. And then the third that I talk about in that chapter actually goes back to a Greek notion of having an appetite of, of always wanting more, of always wanting more. And that these things allowed to grow like bacteria can cloud our eyes, our heart, everything. So, you know, illusion, and, and of course, you know, the great treatment of illusion is in the Hindu tradition, um, where they talk about illusion as maya, M-A-Y-A, and the whole notion uh, there, and it's talked about in other traditions, but it's beautifully spoken to there, is that there is an underlying ultimate reality, and it is you know, being human again, and we're here, it's covered with this physical existence, and that's real, but what we do with it, we can make it illusory, we can make it an illusion. So, you just think of like water in a lake, and, you know, if I, the great paradox there is, you know, I want to see the bottom of the, of the lake. Well, the more I go into the lake, the more I'm stirring it up, I can't see it unless I stand completely still and wait for the wind to die down and then briefly it'll go clear and I can see to the bottom. And it's the knowledge, the felt knowledge of that ultimate reality that then informs how we negotiate the surface world. And so we know these moments uh, in heartfelt ways, you know, great love and great suffering give us these moments of these see-through moments of what matters and what's eternal and what's real. And it's not a place to transcend or go to. It's a place that we touch into that helps us live here. That helps us live here. So that takes me to the inner teacher. Mm. And and there's a phrase that you also use. You say um, to go into that inner work, but you use the word. You say that inner work is not a refuge. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> wait a minute. Oh God. Oh, what do you mean? All right, help me out there. Well, what I mean, and you know, as you've been in circles that I'm, I'm blessed to convene, and and you know, I often talk about, and there's a chapter in there where I talk about the learning from those holding those circles, which is a privilege. That you know, people forever, uh, formally and informally, have always met to try to make sense of being here. But whether that's, you know, uh, taking a time out in the cave, if we were cave, a, tr- a clan of cave people, or whether that's a sangha, or whether that's a congregation, or whether it's a family, or whether it's you're the only person I can t- really talk to on earth, and I won't dare talk to anybody else, take a risk, or whether it's a circle that we meet like we're meeting this weekend here. Um, those circles are resources not refuge. They are places to renew us so that we are more together than alone, so that we can re-enter the full stream of life, not to hang out and hide there. So, you know, uh, this for me has been very important that um, how do we gain strength from what we know and from each other to 
practice heaven here. There's nowhere else. It's not out there. So, you know, the thing that, you know, whales and dolphins are great teachers in this because, uh, you know, even these mammoth, magnificent creatures, um, uh, they, they have a, a great lesson for us, but I, I, well, let's talk about it more on the yeah, other side I'm, of the break. On the other side of the break, I'm here with Mark Nepo. He's the author of The Book of Soul, 52 Paths to Living What Matters. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Mark Nepo, and he's the author of The Book of Soul, 52 Paths to Living What Matters. And Mark, we're just talking about going into refuge or taking time out to see more deeply, and yet living in the world. And you were going to give an example of... Whales and dolphins are great teachers for us. So these mam- We take it for granted because we learn about it, but these mammoth creatures, they're air-breathing creatures that live in water. You know, we we should try that, right? You, you know, this is and just because they're so big and mammoth, and they they can uh, breathe, hold their breath for a long time and be down for a long time, they have to come up. So you know, they have to be in the deep. Their bodies have to literally be immersed in water and depth, so that they stay vital. I mean, if they stay out of water too long, they'll die. But they also can't stay down there because they have to breach surface to breathe. So the question isn't whether you will spend time in the deep or in the world. Like whales and dolphins, we all have, we will all dive into the deep and be in the world and dive into the deep and be in the world. The question is personal spiritual knowledge. How do you determine what your rhythm is? What's your rhythm of an R? So a question for our listeners right now is, you know, are you spending too much time in the deep or too much time in the world? What do you, how do you, where's your balance? So is this where, like, when we preach, it's like we're in contact with the circumstances of our lives. The circumstances, the tangle of relationships, the practical needs, the weather of circumstance. So, so if we're always living there... Well, if we're always living there, uh, and it's not that things don't need to be tended there, but if we're only living there, we don't have the depth to keep us vital. And therefore, our eyes dry out, our tongue dries out, our ears dry out, and we no longer have access to all the best choices. So it's not to say that what needs to be dealt with out here isn't important, but we can't do a good job if we are not renewed by the deep. We can't do it. We will do a poor job, and it'll get less and less and less. We have to go back in the deep, whatever that means for each of us, but you can't hide there either. 
as much as you would want to stay. Oh, I love the deep. That's where I want to stay. Well, you'll drown because you partake of the deep. You are not the deep. And is that kind of an analogy of going off and meditating in the cave and, yes. and never taking it out in the world, but yet if Absolutely. we're out in the world all the time, then Absolutely. we have no resources. You know, when I was years ago, when I first started as a poet in my 20s, and I would go down to New York and I'd participate in these open mic you know, places and where you just, you know, you, you had 10 minutes to get your courage up and say something. And, and it was a, in a cafe in the village and, uh, and it was just getting ready to start. And all of a sudden this guy comes in, r runs in kind of a little distressed. And he says, uh, Oh my God, you know, I, I just witnessed a mugging and, and I wrote, you know, and, and I wrote a poem about it and someone yelled from across the cafe. Yeah, sure. Speed stopping the mugging. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> it's true. It's true. At what point is the poetry, the poetry of living? Okay, that, 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 that's hiding in refuge. And so we can take anything sacred and, and turn it in, into a place to hide. You know, this is where one of, you know, the great, great stories for me uh, is of Friedrich Nietzsche. He had a big turn in his life. He lived to be 55, four or five, but in his mid, like 44, 43 or four, he had a real transformative experience. And everything he wrote after that, you know, the early Nietzsche, which is what most of us read, is very willful and dominant, the Superman and imposition, I'm gonna bend life right. to my will. And then all of a sudden, it's all reversed, it's different. So what led me to discover all this was running into a beautiful, I love this later quote of his, that says, I want to see what is necessary is beautiful, so I can be one of those who makes things beautiful. And I thought, I love that. And then I thought, that doesn't sound like the Nietzsche yeah, I right. read in college. No, Where did no. that come from? So then yeah. this is a... Uh, also a lesson in, that, yeah. let me go find out where did that come right. from. And there's a story behind the story. Right, right. And the story behind the story is that in uh, Turin, Italy, he was living in a piazza in an apartment on the second floor. And he looked out one morning and there was someone was whipping a horse. And for whatever reason, he was thoroughly present. He was a conduit at that moment. And he felt the horse being whipped. I mean, it cracked him. And he yelled out the window, stop, stop whipping that horse. And of course, the person whipping the horse said, who are you? This is my horse. I'll do what I want. Get out of here. You know, and he could not, he ran down into the, into the piazza and he kept pleading. And finally, he stepped between the whip and the horse and he threw his arm around the horse. He put himself between the whip and the whipped, and he was never the same. Never the same. And I think that was the poem of his life. Yes. Mark, that reminds me of a story that you tell in this most current book, and that uh, it, it's about a dog, a Japanese dog, oh, Akita dog. And, yeah, Hachiko. Uh, yeah, <clears throat> and, and I read it, and I just burst into tears. Oh. I mean, I was just crying. And, I, and oftentimes when I read anything about animals, it, it that's what is elicited from oh. me. So tell me the... So Hachiko was a, 
it's it's an illustration of incredible uh, devotion, thoroughness, wholeheartedness that we often learn from animals. You know, because we we are both simplistic and complicated, and often our complication keeps us from our true nature and animals remind us of our true nature. And so the Hachiko was this in the thirties, 1930s was this Akita dog and this professor in Tokyo uh, owned him and he would come and meet him at the Shibuya uh, rail station every day on the way home. Uh, Hachiko would be there. And one day uh, the professor uh, had a brain hemorrhage and he died. And so of course he didn't show and, and Hachiko went to the station and waited and went to the station and waited for nine years, the rest of his life. Every, he became the communal dog of Tokyo and everyone around that station would leave food for Hachiko and pet Hachiko. And, and, uh, and there was Hachiko waiting for, for his owner, his master, his other. And finally, uh, you know, one day Hachiko was old and died right on the spot. And they created a statue of Hachiko on the spot that he waited all those years. And, uh, and people now pet the statue and the patina is worn from where they pet Hachiko. And this story is told as an example of great love and affection. And, and so I included it because it's... Um, you know, again, when we go back to our earlier conversation, this isn't just a a moral characteristic that we can check off. Okay, oh, a good dog. <laughs> no, Hachiko lived the fullest life possible because he held nothing back. And that's why I put it in there. You know, I have an old friend, my very first publisher, is a Native American elder, Joseph Bruchak, a great storyteller himself. And, you know, I noticed when, that so many, so many Native American stories involve animals. And, and I asked him about that, and he said, well, it's because the great spirit uh, knew the wisdom of animals and because human beings are the only creatures who forget their original instructions. Mm -hmm. And so animals remind us that you know, we only live a full life by holding nothing back. You know, we are so, in our modern world, afraid of being fooled or uh, being seen as simple or uh, caught off guard or um, I'd rather be fooled than not believe. Ah, I'd rather be fooled than not believed. Because yes. the reward for belief in, in life, not in a doctrine, not in a principle, not in a deity, belief in life the way Hachiko believed by holding nothing back because that's what a dog does. Well, that's what a human does. That's what a soul in a body on earth does unless we, through illusion, through fear, through greed... Unless we cloud ourselves from knowing what we're standing on, from knowing what's true, what's foundational, what's wholehearted. But when we can be thorough and hold nothing back, the reward is that we 
we are as alive as we can possibly be. So this is a part of what you often allude to as, as immersion over mastery. Yes, immersion over excellence. And, uh, and you know, that I think, you know, there's nothing wrong with excellence. But what I have found in my life is that if I work toward excellence, I may do good work but I may not be present. I may not experience the oneness that such uh, effort can lead me to. Whereas if I am immersed and wholehearted, the reward for that is living a full life, being a conduit, being connected, however briefly, to everything in existence, and the chances are the way a flame will give off heat, I'll, I'll probably do good work. And I, I learned that, you know, early, my father, who's a master woodworker, who's now gone five, six years, but I remember being a boy, watching him work on, on model boats. And he wasn't particularly spiritual, was no, he? It wasn't no, no, that no, he wouldn't, he, he wouldn't <laughs> be comfortable in this conversation. <laughs> but he demonstrated something for you. Yes, and I think that this is where, you know, the, the, what, why it's so important that, that everyone is spiritual. You don't have to call it that. You don't have to name it. But the doorway, what, you know, spirit, being spiritual is, being, is inhabiting our humanness so thoroughly that the part of the universe that lives in me comes out and connects with the part of the universe that lives with you and lives with the tree out there and lives in the water in this glass right here. And so it doesn't matter what we call it. You know, one of the great, uh, great literary critics, Canadian critic Northrop Fry, you know, uh, one said a bird doesn't uh, need an ornithologist to fly. <laughs> Great. I'm here with Mark Nepo, and he is the author of the Book of Soul, 52 Baths to Living What Matters. And if you want to know more about his work, you can go to his website, marknepo.com. And he spells his last name, N-E-P-O, marknepo.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions.
I'm here with Mark Nepo, and he's the author of the Book of Soul, 52 Paths to Living What Matters. And I'm reminded of another uh, story that you relate in the book. There's so many wonderful stories I could oh, pull out of, you know, you. dozens of them. But, but this one had special meaning for me. And this is, you tell the story of the, the name, how the, the a cappella group, this woman's singing group, got its name, Sweet Honey in the Rock. And, and the significance of that name and how it how we can relate to it in our own life and suffering. Yeah, and, and you know they're an amazing group, and and um, and it was all about how the passage, um, uh, a biblical passage, where you know if the rock is opened enough, the honey, the honey of spirit and soul will will come out will come out and soothe sucker and feed us and feed us and and it speaks to the paradox of 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 breaking and you know no one wants to be broken no one we don't go say oh sign me up you know but the 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 paradoxical kind of uh passage if you will that all life has to go through that that breaking for human beings, is what erosion is for nature. And often, nature is eroded until its inner beauty shows. And then we save up money and we go and to the Mohar Cliffs off of Ireland or to these, uh, ho- these cliffs called the Hollows on the north I- of the island of Barbados that have been worn for thousands of years by the pounding of the Atlantic Ocean. And, you know, and I'm sure if we talk to the mountains and the cliffs, they might say, are you kidding me? Do you know what I'm enduring here? <laughs> but, but this is the lesson for us. We don't look to be broken, but when we are, that honey in the rock will show itself. And, 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 and you know, often it is, uh, there's another kind of paradox. I mean, it doesn't mean to say that we're always broken open and every, to reframe everything is wonderful. No, sometimes we just break and sometimes we're broken open. I mean, it, do I know the difference? I know what it feels like, the difference, but I, I can't control the difference. But when I'm broken and you're broken open, you can help me. And when you're just broken and I'm broken open, I will have the spiritual resources to help you. And so that we hold each other up because the other paradox about breaking is that when the heart breaks, somehow the tears that come water the seed that's been waiting under the break. I'm reminded of a a tarot card in the Rider Waite deck. I think it's a three of swords, I'm not sure. But it's a card, when you first see it, it's just shocking. You think, oh, this is a terrible card, because it shows just a big heart, and it's broken open by these three swords. And it is just depicting just that, in order for the heart to contain more. It's it's like broken open, and uh, and more is available then. And you talk about it, it's relational. 
And that's a, that's a theme that you work with so often. Yeah. What what is we're here to be relational. Yeah, I think we you know, and I think it's just a matter like the dolphins and whales, how often they come up and go down. We you know whether you are an introverted or an extrovert, or you you shy away from relationships, or you're so socially awkward, or you're you know just at ease. It doesn't matter. We all are relational. Um, the question is how, and if we're not relational, then we become like a pinball in a pinball machine. We simply try to avoid holes, and and all we do is react. And so we are, even if you live by yourself and you're alone and you prefer that, you are still relating to the very quiet in the air that you call home, to the sound of the water running in the stream outside your window. You are still relating to people whether you converse with them or not. And so everything in the world is connected. And the job of a poet is to reveal and describe those connections. And in that regard, everyone is a poet. It's not about putting words on a page. It's about feeling, seeing, and inhabiting the connections that will help us be a point in the web of all of creation because then I can get the resources from that. So wait, in that connection, what is helpful, I think, that you might agree, what is helpful is turning to that reflex that we have within us if we uncover it enough that it is to be helpful. It is to be kind. Oh, absolutely. You know, there were there are there are two. There's wonderful uh, uh, Chinese philosopher Mencius in the Confucian tradition about 200 years after Confucius, and he has two beautiful images. One's about this because there has been an argument, an un, you know, ending argument throughout history where some people say that. Yes, we are, we are naturally kind and loving, and we were meant to join together. I'm certainly of that tribe. And, uh, and others who say, no, we're worse than animals. We need limitations. We need everything constraints because we're evil. And, and, um, and you know, and I, I think we can. And so Mencius, one of the things he said, he used the metaphor of running water. He said, water allowed its true nature will always flow downhill and join other water. He said we can manipulate water to go sideways, even uphill. We can dam it, we can free it, but allow it its true nature. Water will always flow downhill and join other water. He said so too human beings. We, when allowed our true nature, we will always flow in kindness and join with each other. We can be manipulated or manipulate ourselves to be enclosed, to be pressured, to go even against our true nature. But allowed our true nature, we will just flow and join to each other. And then the other image that he used was a, a way to define, there's a, there's a central kind of principle of human nature that Confucius spoke of called Ren, R-E-N. 
And Mencius was in a conversation we know from, you know, writings and, and, and conversations and things. And, um, and he was at, kind of at a loss to, dis, to give words to it. And he finally said, if you see a child about to fall into a well, the impulse you have to go stop them from falling, that's Wren. Right. And that's almost universal. It's universal. Uh, it, it, it just is a natural sort of, I think yeah. Joseph Campbell talked about that years ago, the same thing. It's the same thing that has Hachiko go back to the station every day for nine years. Yes. Yes. And that's so, nothing to be ashamed of. That endless reservoir of care is something to be proud of. And this is this offers so much optimism in this time. We're so much more aware of all the things because of the way the news manipulates us to be in that fearful place yeah. of and and we respond, you know, because it's not part of our nature. I think the Dalai Lama has talked about that. Yeah. He said as long as we continue to be kind of amazed at these bad actions, then we're okay because it attracts us because it's not part of our true nature. And that's kind of what you're saying, isn't it? Well, I'm saying, yeah, I mean, I'm, for me, I feel like, you know, it, it turns out to be through Trumpism and everything that's happening globally, you know, uh, there is this stridency, this return to fear and isolation. And, and our job, I feel, it's our turn. This has happened before in history. And it's not to minimize. It's very painful. It's very difficult. It's maddening. Um, and it's our turn not to vanish. It's our turn to show up like Hachiko at whatever station we're called to again and again and again. It's our job to uh, save each other from falling in the well, it's our turn. And the reward isn't just altruism. The reward is that we get to inhabit the fullest life possible by giving of ourselves. I've come to learn in my life that there's a certain aspect of coming alive that happens when I give, when I think I don't have any more to give. And uh, again, that's just this incredible uh, that the heart, you know, the heart is breakable and paradoxically it's unbreakable. It'll break, but it will always reform. It'll break and it will always get bigger, larger, gentler, more loving. And it will incorporate more before it becomes whole again. That's beautiful. Thank you for leaving us with that thought because it's uh, so encouraging in these times. Thank you so much, Mark, for being oh, with us a joy, today. A joy. I've been here with Mark Nepo, and he's the author of many, many books, including The Way Under the Way and Drinking from the River of Light, and the book of Soul, 52 Paths to Living What Matters. And if you want to know more about his work, you can go to his website, marknepo.com, and he spells his last name N-E-P-O, marknepo.com.
www.newdimensions.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions. This is program number 3698. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You, too, can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. For over four decades, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.